Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello there, and welcome to episode 77 of the WP Builds Podcast. My name's Nathan Wrigley from pictureandword.co.uk, a small web development agency based in the north of England, and I'll be joined a little bit later by David Wormsley from davidwormsley.com. Today's episode is entitled UI That Rocks, Understanding Gestalt Design Principles with Pichianeri. It was published on the 24th of May, 2018. Please go to the wpbuilds.com website and click all the buttons underneath the player. You can share our podcast on iTunes and a whole load of other places, Google Play and so on and so forth. And it's always really nice when we get reviews. We read them all and we try to correspond with the people who write things to us. It's very, very nice when we get some, some pleasant commentary back. Thank you for all of that. Okay, so everything I'm about to say is preceded by wpbuilds.com. So, for example, wpbuilds.com forward slash Facebook gets you into our Facebook group. Forward slash subscribe gets you on our newsletter. Forward slash advertise if you'd like to advertise on our podcast. Forward slash YouTube to catch these episodes on YouTube instead of a podcast player or something like that. Forward slash Slack for the Slack channel. And forward slash deals just gets you onto a page which shows some of the latest deals that um, we found on the internet to do with WordPress and so on. And a brand new one. This week I bought something on AppSumo called Bot Letter. And it allows me to broadcast messages on uh, Facebook Messenger. So, for example, um, there's about, I don't know, 10 people subscribed on there at the moment. Not very many. But the principle is that rather than getting an email or anything like that, I can just click a button and it puts something into your Messenger um, uh, coming from WP Builds. And it's really good, actually, because it's just a really simple way of um, getting something without having to read a a long email or something. Anyway, that's entirely up to you if you'd like to do that. That's wpbuilds.com forward slash messenger. I should probably say today the episode is broken up into three parts. The first part is the discussion in a moment from David Wormsley and myself entitled Should We White Label WordPress? Then we go on to the interview um, with Piccianeri all about Gestalt design principles. And finally, we go on to the ending fact, which today is called Video Persuades People to Buy Things. There you go. A little bit of background on Piccianeri. Um, I was at the WordCamp in London, along with quite a lot of the people who frequent our Facebook group recently. And she gave a fantastic talk entitled UI That Rocks. And what she did was she explained with her design background and her art history background that um, websites can be broken down into kind of component parts. And... The reason that certain things work, according to Gestalt theory, can be categorized and named. And I didn't really have this vocabulary, so it was genuinely really interesting for me. And hopefully you'll get something out of this talk. And there's a slideshow linked in the show notes that she's provided so that you can look to PDF. And also, very kindly, she's got a 10% discount um, with the offer code WPBUILDS, all lowercase, um, for her webinar series that she's putting out just at this moment. So if you're interested in any of that stuff and you um, you would like to get in touch with her and see her webinar series, then remember that you can use this offer code of WP Builds 
all lowercase, no spaces, and you get 10% off. Fab. Okay, thanks very much, as always, for listening to the podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. And today's discussion is, should we white label WordPress? And I think maybe just to start this off, I should say what we think are the three reasons why people might want to do that. And the first would be to hide the tools that you use from your client. The second would be perhaps just to make the UI better for a client or to reinforce your branding or any of the above. So Nathan, should we share what we've done? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that we've dabbled in this a little bit, haven't we? Um, We were talking just before we pressed record. And we've all, we've both of us tried various different things and, and coincidentally arrived at more or less exactly the same conclusion. Um, t- taking the point of um, sort of hiding things, I've, I've tried this before. Um, a few years ago, I had a website and I was just a little bit nervous that the, the client was going to be that tinkerer. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, not having a great deal of experience in doing it. I'm going to have to cough, excuse me. <clears throat> not having a great deal of experience in doing this and uh, whatnot, I downloaded various plugins. Uh, and of course, we're talking about adapting the, the admin UI so that they don't have so many options. And I hid various things that I think they that I thought that they might go and tinker with. So for example, I, I hid, I don't know, I can't remember exactly, but it was settings and the access to this particular plugin and, and what have you. Um, but then I kind of got to the conclusion that actually I've got to maintain this and keep making sure that these things are hidden um, and that this plugin, which is doing this hiding for me, uh, is going to be updated and maintained. Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of the extent uh, that I've done it. I haven't done anything to try and improve the UI to make it better. Never use that. Really, for me, it's always just been about hiding items that I think the client might accidentally click on and get a little bit too immersed in and perhaps break things. Um, so that's that's all I've ever done it for. What about you? Yeah, it's the same really. It is trying to make the experience better for clients. So I wanted to remove, do you know what, at the time when I did this and I put it on four live sites, I was using the dynamic child theme for Genesis and it had a lot of options in it. Now it does allow you this theme to save it out as a normal Genesis child theme and remove all the options it has. Mm. But I thought, oh gosh, you know, in that theme, uh, clients can access PHP, JavaScript, and and lots and lots of CSS options. They could really do damage. So I, I cleared all of those up, thinking the same, you know. But also to make the experience better, I just wanted them to go to the you know basic links they needed. But I you know I ran foul on two for two reasons really. First was I was building the site for, with my colleague for her clients, and she wanted to do some work on it, and she. Googled some stuff to do on WordPress and then came to me and said, uh, stuff isn't here. Oh, I see. <laughs> I saw, ah, right. Yeah. So, so that was the first hurdle. And then, you know, the plugin I was using, um, had a, a bad update. And for a moment, it, uh, revealed things it shouldn't and hid things it shouldn't. So right. I just, at that point, I thought, why am I doing this? And it's just one more thing to go wrong. So yeah. I, I got rid of. I I was using functions.php as well and just inserting uh, little snippets just to hide one item or two items in particular as well. So I've I've tried various things, but it's always, for me at least anyway, for a period of time, it was simply about hiding stuff that I didn't want them to fiddle with. I never took the approach that this is improving things because I, I actually... 
I'm working on the basis that WordPress of, of all the CMSs I've ever touched is, is really beautifully done anyway. I mean, some of the naming um, conventions are a bit stupid and some plugins don't really uh, indicate what it is that they do. You, you use the example, I think, of WP Rocket, which although it's a caching plugin, doesn't necessarily, the name mm. doesn't really tell you that. So it, uh, you know, it might be a good idea to change the name of that plugin in the admin menu to say caching or something. Um, mm. But I, but now I've I've utterly abandoned um, any white labelling of of any description, um, and I've now got to the point where I figure you'll get what you get, and if I do my job of explaining it well enough, you won't go in and start messing around with things that you shouldn't be messing around with. Yeah, and that's really where I've ended up. I mean, we only talked a little while back about using WP Rocket and I was using that but now I'm changing my plugin I think that's it I'm not going to try any white labeling and it doesn't make sense this is I mean we said this didn't we when we were talking earlier that I guess whichever route you go down you need to be consistent with it and I think the one that I couldn't do at all and I don't think you've done which is to hide the tools you're using from the client for the reason of sort of almost claiming they are your work you know mm. so you hide in WordPress itself and, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah that's... Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I mean, there are some examples of that, and I haven't got some new ones, but I always remember Happy Tables. They built um, word, their own uh, CMS, if you like, on top of WordPress, and they hid absolutely everything about it. Now, I hear that they're not taking on any new customers, so I don't know how successful that's been long term. Mm. But I just think, wow, you really need to know what you're doing to be able to support something like that. Yeah, I bet there are a heap of people. My my guess is it's um, potentially people who are a bit new to to WordPress or possibly have a little bit of a hang up with um, with with you know claiming ownership of things and wanting to kind of imply to the client that this is all your hard work because we've talked many times about value pricing, you know, and if mm. if the client was to get a, a sniff of the fact that you're using WordPress, which is free, and 16 of these 17 plugins are free. How dare you charge me for, for the, yeah. the, the fee that you've charged? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, there is that. But to me, it's just too fraught with things to, to fiddle with down the road. If you're going to hide the, the WordPress icon and you're going to hide everything here, there, and everywhere, any mention of WordPress and change the color scheme of the UI and all of that, then... Uh, I don't know. I just think there's too much to look out for in the future. Too many, too many things could go wrong. Um, and th the truth is, you are using WordPress. And from my point of view, that's something to be proud of and something to celebrate. Mm. Um, and obviously, now we're doing this podcast. You know, I mean, anybody that comes across me, um, I'm going to tell them about WordPress and explain how great WordPress is and why it's the best thing on earth and why um, we ought to be using it. Because, well, I actually do in my sort of proposal I go into why use WordPress I talk about it being open source so that you can examine all the code and it's free and you know I even go as far as to mention the fact that um, if you were to fall out with me at any point in the future I can't remember the wording I use but sort of explain that there's hundreds of thousands of people employed around WordPress so if something was to go wrong with our relationship you've got uh, you've got a you know, 199,999 other people who can help you out and I think that's a good selling point so Embracing WordPress, explaining WordPress seems like a good idea to me, and hiding it seems a bit silly. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And particularly at the moment, I feel grateful that I've been transparent about all the tools I use because of GDPR. Yep. Because if I was pretending it was all my work, um, you know, and that could just mean I, I could still reveal that I use WordPress, but I don't say about the plugins I use or I hide them. At least now, you know, with GDPR, if some of those aren't compliant, I, I, I can separate myself from it. I can say, no, the service you buy for me is my skills and help to make you build this site with these tools, but mm. they're not my tools. Mm. And I think that's really handy. Quite a few of the the courses that I've been on have emphasized the fact that whilst you're pitching to a client, you know, that initial discovery session, they've, um, they take the position that it's probably best not to mention WordPress because um, you're just trying to find out from them what, what it is that they want. And then ultimately you come back with a proposal with a price attached to it. Um, and the idea of that being don't mention WordPress because, well, why why would you? You you can come back and rather than explain you're going to use this plugin and that plugin, you just say, okay, we're going to solve this problem and this problem and don't mention the plugins. I'm, I'm happy to do it that way, but I also think it's totally fine to say, you know, we're going to, we, we're going to install a bunch of plugins, some of which will be free, some of which will be paid for and, and be open and transparent about it. Um, but I can get it. I can understand both sides of that argument. But I'm I'm certainly re- more recently moving to the look. Everything's on WordPress, um, and here we are. And it just occurred to me that you were saying about GDPR. It might be might be something that I might do is to put a um, a page together on my website, um, which just enumerates every single plugin that I've used on any of my client sites, and they could you know filter down and okay you've got a menu item called facet wp right okay uh what does what does that do where did you find it who's the author and so on um and that Mm. might that might offset some of those problems but yeah you're right if you uh if you've hidden it and suddenly you've got to explain how everything works yeah i i think that you made a really good point just about the client being able to move on so i think it is a kind of selling point that is a a great point you know also, you know, WordPress itself is a great selling point, isn't it? I mean, it's the most popular CMS yeah, out there. I, um, How can I, you go wrong? I, I'm always surprised. You know, a meeting a few months ago, I went and sat down with a guy in his office and um, and he just said, can you just show me how it works? And and I don't, I don't even know if at that point we talked about WordPress. It was the first time I'd ever met the guy. And I just said, okay, this is WordPress. And it's a bit like Facebook. You know, you go to this URL and you log in. And that was the level that we were on. And he was totally beguiled by it. You know, he really thought, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, oh, okay. Post is a repeatable thing and a page, right? Yeah, got it. Okay. Oh, and you just press add new. And before I, before the meeting was over, he was, he was totally loving it. He loved everything about it. And it was simple and it was plain. And I said, look, it's here it is. It's WordPress. It's free. It's totally available. There's loads of people using it. And for him, that was that was reassuring. Um, we yeah. hadn't really got a relationship. He didn't know um, my my level of expertise or any of that stuff. And he could see that, you know, there's a big community behind this. OK, this looks like something I can jump on board of. So in that sense, it worked really well. And actually, then I ended up showing him Beaver Builder. And at that point, he was like, oh, yeah, done. Let's let's do it. <laughs> it was an easy sell. Um, yeah. 
I wonder about, actually, they could tell us, because there are some on our Facebook group who do really take seriously the making the UI better. So they will relabel the names of plugins to make them make more sense. And we talked about that before, actually, with Beaver Builder changing from Page Builder to Beaver Builder. Mm. And I'm just really interested in their thoughts on it because, you know, that's extra work for them to do and extra responsibility. I wonder if they let the clients also know what they're using or whether they are sort of hiding that a little bit or whether they just do this because they know the client needs to have it made simple. So it's, if you like, an add-on product to what they sell. You know, you've got this stuff, but I'm just going to make it simple for you by labeling it. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, we're in the position that you can do both completely legitimately. Like I've said, I've I've now taken the approach. Actually, that that turns out to be incorrect. I've just been looking at a few sites and I have in quite a few cases turned off just a few simple items. Like I've turned off the at a glance um, box in the dashboard on a few sites and I've turned off the... Oh, I can't remember. Some of the default WordPress stuff, like the default WordPress news uh, section. Yes. I've just switched that off um, just because I think it's a bit of clutter. Um, so I, I, I am I am certainly doing a little bit of this. And you're right. It comes from the point of view of not hiding WordPress. It comes from the point of view of just neatening things things up a little bit. I've got no problem with that. If, you, if you're making the experience better um, and you're not trying to kind of claim it all as your own work, then mm. that seems like a good idea. And there are a whole bunch of plugins might might be a good idea to mention a few actually um that that do this kind of stuff so for example um a really a really popular one um i'm looking at the wordpress.org repo and it's been installed over 200,000 times and it's got mostly five star reviews um is one called ad minimize have you used this one <laughs> yes but for a different reason um i on my uh Beaver Builder live demo sites, I use it because I give more permissions than the the, the software allows. Ah, okay. So I give more permissions and hide stuff that I don't want them to see. Okay. Yeah. So it able it this one enables you to actually increase on by role what they're allowed to do, not just decrease. Mm. It's quite a nice and basically it presents you with a great big table, doesn't it, of tick boxes, check yeah. boxes, and you just go through by user role, by plugin, by uh, WordPress feature. And you just say, yes, you can do that. No, you can't do that. So, for example, you could disable menu links. It's not, I don't think it's about uh, changing the names of things particularly. I think it's just about reducing the complexity of what they're looking at and so on. So that's that's a very popular one. Uh, I've used that, but I found it to be um, in some ways over, there's just so much to look at and, and often you don't quite know what you're ticking. So anyway, there's another one called White Label CMS, done by uh, the guys over at Video User Manuals, who are also the WP Elevation people. I've not used this one. Have you ever touched this one? No, I haven't. No. Again, I think it purports to do the same thing, strips out um, various items in the uh, in the, the, the admin menu. It's a free one on the um, WordPress.org repo, um, and from a trusted source, I would say. Uh, they, those guys know what they're doing. There's also one which we actually gave away as a competition a few weeks ago as a, as a giveaway, um, and it's called Ultimate Dashboard. Now, this one is slightly different in that it's not trying to hide anything. It's just trying to make things neater. So it's making extra boxes. So um, you might have a support box, which is just big and dominates your UI. So instead of having to find a menu item and then click on the Submit Support Ticket option, you would just click this big button and it it takes you there. And I quite like the idea of that because to me, it, it just neatens everything up without hiding everything. 
And last, but yes. by no means least, um, oh no, two more. There's Ultimate Branding by WPMU Dev, and that, that's soup to knots, really. That allows you to change the everything, the colors of everything, hide everything, um, change the login screen and all of that kind of stuff, you know. And then finally, I'm using main WP and that allows you to um, strip things out. And I'm like I said a moment ago, I'm using it to get rid of the welcome at a glance activity, quick draft and WordPress news dashboard widgets. So they're my, um, they're the picks of the ones I've used in the past, or sorry, not used, come across, but probably there's a load more. Have you heard of any more? Yeah, but the one I used, um, which was by right here, and this is unusual for me, getting something from Code Canyon, right. but there's is white label branding for WordPress. Really a lot of um, things you can do with that one. I think quite reliable. I think they set it off off uh, Code Canyon as well. But uh, yeah, it did give me a, a slight problem once on an update, and that's why it went. But yeah. Do you know, it just one. just sort of occurs to me that this is the first time we've ever ever had a discussion about like a range of plugins at the same time. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've never done that, have we? We always talk about the one thing. It's quite nice that this subject has drawn us into that idea of offering <laughs> offering you a bunch of solutions. Please don't take it as an endorsement. I don't really know um, a great deal no. about most of these, uh, so just you can experiment and have a little look. So yeah, there we go. What do you reckon? Yeah. Are you happy? Should we end that topic? Or have you got more to say? No, I've just got to say that it's been useful to me because it's actually made me decide where I'm going with this one. And I yep. think that's the problem, isn't it? We, we've we we've dabbled, but we haven't made it consistent with who we are. So yep. I've, I've learned. Well, I think I think so too. Oh, I mean, no white label. Yeah, don't white label is my solution. And also because both you and I are um, putting out content in the WordPress space, uh, in, the, in mm. this case, uh, the podcast, and I know you do lots and lots of helpful videos as well. It seems it seems like a marriage made in heaven. You know, celebrate WordPress. Explain to your clients. Look, there's loads of free stuff, and there's a load of paid plugins as well. Oh yeah, there was one other thing. Um, the the other day, I I got a client uh, who came back to me and said, I want this sort of client portal uh, put in my website, and I just quickly googled around and found a whole bunch of plugins, and they gave me the specs of what they needed it to do, and. I um I found the the one that I thought was the most suitable and went back to the client and said, look, here it is. It's 50 bucks or whatever, something like that. Go buy this. Um, and so that approach of saying, you know, it's a WordPress plugin. You can extend WordPress. Go buy this. That made me feel really good because I knew then that the client, if it didn't work out for them, that was on, that was on them. Um, whereas if I'd have uh sort of claimed oh yeah i've managed to work out how to how to do this for you you know it's inevitable they're going to come back to you and say actually it's not quite what we were after is it possible that we adjust this and then all of a sudden actually no i can't do that because it's not my plugin so i felt good about doing it that way around because um them purchasing the plugin and knowing that these were the limitations of what it did made me feel confident to um sort of implement it for them yeah, no, I get that. It's kind of like an adult relationship with your clients, isn't it? When yep. you feel that you don't need to, you know, you know, you're confident in your skills enough to say, look, I just use this plugin because yep. you know there's lots you know on top of that. Yep. So, yeah, but also, I like it. Think about it from the point of view. I mean, I probably found six or seven plugins that did that exact same thing. And mm. from the client point of view, it was quite because I told them which ones I was looking at. And then eventually I said, I think this one is the winner. There's value in that as well. I've gone out and done some research for them, found the best one, but also they're yeah. aware that 
okay, if this one doesn't work out, we've got some other options. It's not like we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater if this first one doesn't work. We could try these other ones. And honestly, at $50 a throw, it's a, that's fine. You know, it's not a lot of time. You get, uh, you, get, you get an awful lot for a very small amount of money. So, yeah. Okay. There we go. That's the um, that's the little discussion done. Thanks for that. I've learned a bit as well. That was very good. And we'll um, head on into the interview. Right. It's the interview part of the podcast now. Thanks for sticking with us. On the line, all the way from Spain, I have Pichaneri. Hello. Hello, Nathan. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honour. Oh, you're very welcome. That's very kind of you. Um, the reason that Peaches on is because, well, actually, I think we've been toing and froing in one way or another for well over a year on Facebook. I think my first interaction with you was when you were t- you needed a theme, I believe, and I, I mentioned Generate Press, and I, I think that was the first memory I have of of interacting with you. And, then, and for that, I shall forever be grateful. Yes, well, yeah, it's, good. it's a good product. And then yeah. um, more recently, uh, just a month or two ago, we, we actually got to meet up in, in real life because uh, Peacher was doing one of the, the longer talks, one of the hour-long talks at WordCamp in London. And being um, somebody that was interested in what you were saying, I, I showed up and I was very, 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 very impressed, I have to say. Um, not only were oh, your I'm slides beautiful, blushing. not only were your no, it was true. Not only were your slides beautiful, but what you what you said um, was actually really interesting to me. Because well, we'll get onto that in a moment. You you ended up telling me a whole load of stuff that I genuinely didn't know, and that's always a a great result. I think when you go to a talk and you actually leave thinking, boy, there's a ton of stuff I didn't know. Um, that yeah, perfect. So first of all, we should probably just say that your your sphere, if you like, your area of expertise is design. Um, how did you? Yes. Well, do you want to just give us a little bit of background on you and and you know tell us about why you've got the chops to talk about design? Yes, I'll cut a potentially very long story as short as possible because <laughs> unfortunately I'm getting you know longer in the tooth as I say. So I started off well another it. I have the imposter syndrome that a lot of us have. Mm. I don't have it anymore, but I've had it for a long time because I'm not a designer by training. I'm actually uh, an art historian and by by training, I um, did art history at university, which did include a bit of fine art, and then went to uh, did an MA at the Courtauld uh, Institute in London, mm-hmm. and then went back to Italy and. Um, set up a publishing company for the arts with some friends and uh, we were publishing all the art catalogues and museum books and things like that in Italy and that that was great and that's how I started designing. The thing is that as I do say in the talk, uh, design Western design theory is largely based on Western art theory and on Gestalt theory of that more later so in fact if you are a if you know about art you are in a good place to understand design even though you don't need to necessarily be artistic to artistic to be a designer Mm. anyway so I did books for a long time and then decided to move back to to London because of various reasons because of the reasons why everybody leaves Italy but anyway so moved back to London where I had loads of friends and I loved it and then got back Carried on designing books and worked with, again, with museums, with National Gallery, Tate, British Council, 
uh, and others uh, and private galleries as well. But then after a while, I really wanted to do more design because when you do books, it does become a little bit repetitive. And mm. interestingly, as is, is the case with websites as well, it's not so much about your imagination. It's about either the artist that's represented in the book or, you know, anyway, the content on the book and mm. of the book. And unless you are producing a book that is an art book in itself, you know, an art object in itself, you can be creative, but in a limited way, which is nice. It's good. I think it's really good to have a brief, but can get boring. So I decided to go a bit more into uh, pure design, so to speak, and started freelancing with with agencies. Also, I didn't want to be just doing editorial. I wanted to do different stuff as well that was a bit more creative. So I uh, freelanced with lots of lots of London agencies. You know, did the London freelancing thing. I was on the desk of the uh, Sunday Times magazine as a freelance for for uh, years and that was fun you know mm. that was really interesting and um and then i dis- and then i was um i did a lot of branding in all these agencies i got very much into branding and to into uh, logo design which is only a part of branding and then um and then started working for the bfi the british film institute oh yeah which yeah. was which was fantastic because there i, I was you can't use the word director at the BFI unless you are a director, but effectively I was the creative director of the, the design department with all that that entails. And I can tell you that it was fun. Mm. It was amazing. It was brilliant. It was basically, I was watching, watching films for a living, seriously. Nice. And then, <laughs> and then, and then designing posters. And that was the best kind of creativity that, that I've experienced with a brief, I mean, besides, you know, of course, doing your own paintings and your own photography, but you actually had, you you had the confines of a brief and of a subject, but within that, you could be as creative as possible, and, but you also had the constraints of the brand or having to create a language for the brand. Now, mm. that specific brand had terrible typography and a, and a very unruly logo. So there was, again, these are constraints that make you think in a very specific way. But so that was that was a, a fantastic experience. And I got involved in their education as well. And um, then I, I left the job itself, but carried on as a freelance for a very long time. And then <laughs> decided to get into the web, which brings us to the present day. Right. So I decided to get, well, I started by having my own uh, blog where I was posting a, one sketch a day, which I carried on for almost a year, which I find, you that's, know, amazing for me. That's pretty incredible, yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it's defunct. I don't even, I, no, it doesn't exist anymore. I sort of let it go to rot. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the drawings still exist. And and I realized when I did that, that I, I had no idea how to make WordPress do what I wanted it to do. Mm. And that really frustrated me because I like to get things to work. So, you know, I became a Photoshop whiz and I, you know, illustrator with all these things. I needed to have the tool. I I rule the tool. I am the master of the tools. They don't own me. So with <laughs> WordPress, I didn't have that. So it started getting me really, really curious. And I had designed websites and I'd worked with a web team at the BFI and so on. But really, my knowledge was very minor. But I was a very, I was a, <laughs> I'm going to say something quite funny I think I was an an advanced web user so I knew how to use. I was very much 
into anything that's online. I was, you know, very, very much into that. I, but I didn't know how to how it worked. Yep. So I started studying. I started on Linda, started doing HTML, CSS, because I thought, yeah, WordPress, so difficult. I actually found it really, really difficult to understand. Mm. Um, but studied, 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 and then uh, and then went on Treehouse, which I loved. Yes. And so, yeah, and suddenly, suddenly WordPress wasn't that mysterious anymore. And then decided that actually what I wanted to do was websites because that's what everybody needs. And there are, I mean, it's nice to do branding, but there are so many things that are not nice about doing branding with clients. So anyway, so I decided, oh, I love this. I just want to, I want to do this. And then, uh, and then moved to Spain, which meant the mo two years ago, moved to Spain, which meant that most of the work had to be online anyway. Right. So yeah. the easiest thing to work remotely is to do web design yes as we all know so i decided okay this i had plans to do courses online and things like that but i i thought yeah but wordpress has to be the way that i sort of put food on the table and mm. then came across wp elevation which is something a lot of us have in common yeah, and yeah, um, i've been through that yeah you have indeed and um yeah, and then WordPress became my kind of, it's it's my main thing. I, I, it, what I found with WordPress that I didn't find with design is the community. Yeah, it's so, like nothing else. It's amazing. It's like nothing else, absolutely. And and it made me, um, yeah, it's, it's incredible how when we met in London in this pub and, you know, you were looking at people recognizing them by their... Uh, profile photo and thinking yes. oh here's my friend here's my friend here's my friend you know he's my other friend and you think well, i've never met these people in my life and yeah, it was yeah yeah fantastic it was so great yeah it was it was amazing i didn't realize your um your story was as, as sort of deep and rich as that you we, we talked very briefly um at WordCamp, and you mentioned about things like the courtauld institute and obviously the move to spain and, and the move to england and things but i didn't realize um quite how long you've been doing all this stuff um, yeah, that's that's fabulous. I take what a, it as a compliment. Yeah, no, that's that's really no. I mean, the, I think the length of time that you've been doing anything is directly proportional if you study uh, to how good you are and how how much authority you have. So I think the the length of time is a good thing. Yeah, I wasn't yes, I wasn't implying anything about your age. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. But my age is is you know it's 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 a good thing because it means that I'm alive. Yeah, yeah. If I didn't age. I wouldn't be alive. So I'd rather be alive. Yeah. yeah. Good point. So we we. We, we got to see you in London. There was a whole bunch of these people who, as you said, met up in the pub the night before and we all sat and we watched you talk. And um, the, the thing that I found really, really cool, um, I don't know if any of the audience are like me. I can see something and I can say I like it um, or I don't like it. But what I don't have is the vocabulary to understand what it is that I'm looking at. I, I raise my hand and say quite happily, I'm an appalling designer. I have no design chops. I simply have, I like that I don't like that um, move it to the left move it up and so on but what you gave us in your talk um, which was entitled UI that rocks a practical introduction to gestalt principles applied to the web to web design what you gave us is a whole load of vocabulary now my understanding is that this vocabulary that you gave us was um, limited in that there's a whole lot more 
But I was wondering yeah. if over the duration of this podcast, we could talk through some of these v- vocabulary points and understand what it is that we're looking at on the screen when we, di- when we use these words. Perhaps the first thing to say is, what is gestalt? That might be a good place to start. Yes. So gestalt is a, it was a theory of psychology that was started at the uh, beginning of the uh, 20th century in, uh, in Germany. Basically, a psychologist saw something, saw a, a, a visual phenomenon, which was, well, the story, I heard two different stories, actually. One is that he, he purchased a toy that had alternate, alternating lights that made you think there was a movement that, in fact, wasn't there. And I, then I heard a, a different story, which, um, according to which he saw a uh, train signals um, like panel with mm-hmm. lights that were moving. So as the lights were moving, it looked as if there were the, there was a light that was going in, in a certain direction mm. when in fact it was only lights turning on and off. Anyway, this phenomenon that he saw didn't fit with a particular current or psychology theory that they were studying at the time. So he thought his name was Max Wertheimer, but I don't have my German is, is non-existent, so I probably don't pronounce it well. Anyway, so he thought, okay, we need to work out a different psychology uh, theory that of vision that will accommodate this visual perception that I'm experiencing because I don't know how to cate- categorize it mm-hmm. otherwise. Mm-hmm. So that's how it was born. And Gestalt means it's a German word that means something like form, shape, or pattern, there is apparently no equivalent, direct equivalent in the um, English language. So oh, okay. This so is kind of, got yeah, gestalt apparently. instead, yeah. Yes, got gestalt instead, and it doesn't get translated. And basically, it's how it's a study or it's a categorization of the various strategies or tactics even that our brain uses when it analyzes the visual reality around us. And as the talk concludes, and that uh, as I as I uh, come, I keep coming to the same conclusion. Basically, our brain, as I th- the more I think about Malitova in my mind, basically our brain doesn't want to work very hard. It's constantly, <laughs> constantly begging us to work as little as possible. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we have all these systems in place that allow us to go see something go boom i recognize that that's what it is and gestalt theory of vision applied to vision because as you know very well there's a gestalt therapy also which i know nothing about no um so gestalt theory of vision talks about uh, analyzes and categorizes the various ways in which our brain tries to think very little mm. said really for complete um com- people who don't have never heard about it before that's more or less what it is okay that's perfect so, because that's that's where i'm at um yeah so it's the way that the brain interprets the incoming visual information um, and yeah. the idea is that we we're drawn towards things which require us to to think less um yeah and and we enjoy those things on a sort of instinctive level um, yeah. Just as an aside from that, is there a in in a Gestalt theory? Then is there a is there a concept of a better design? So, in other words, if we compare one thing to another, can we, in a Gestalt way, sort of say, well, this this is better, and this one 
over here is worse for these set of reasons that the Gestalt theory applies. Absolutely, yes. Ah. And that's that's why that's why that's kind of why I I did the talk because it gives you another going back to what you were saying at the beginning that you can say yes I like it or yes I don't like it but you don't know why mm. and with Gestalt you are able to say why because you can say well I don't like it because all these uh, you know the menu items are too far from one another and therefore my brain doesn't know that they belong to the same group because the brain the the eye want tends to group together objects that are close to one another it makes them part of the same group but that if they're too far apart we struggle yep. with understanding whether they belong to the same group or not I, so this is the kind of yeah well, analysis well, I, I, I was just going to say that 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 was the thing that was the hook i think that i got from the talk was um here's a here's a here's a vocabulary for how to describe things and the more that you think about this stuff the more that your designs could be tweaked so that they're favorable to as as many people as possible now obviously you know there's there's sort of cutting edge design and quirky design and people doing things to shock and and all of that kind of stuff which maybe doesn't fall under this remit but let, yeah let's get stuck into it so um what i'll do is i'll link on the show notes if it's all right with you uh, Peter, can I link yes. um, in the show notes to the to the slides that I'm going to be going through and talking about, or you're going to be talking about? Absolutely, Great. please do that. Great. Yes, uh, that's perfect. Um, uh, so th the first one that we come across, I suppose. Well, actually, do you want to take it because I could I could list them out in order, but that doesn't really make <laughs> much sense. Do you want to do it instead? Sure. So um, yes. So basically, the point of the talk also is because. I just want to say this as a as a necessary premise that when I decided to when I moved to the web and I did it properly because I sort of I jump in things I don't just do it by halves I have to understand as better as you know in the best possible way what mm. I'm what I'm doing so when I did that my I changed profoundly as a designer very very deeply because the 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 purpose of design on on the web is completely different the set of reasons that why you make a decision are very, 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 very different. So I had to stop myself from looking too cool. You know, being a, a Photoshop whiz doesn't, should you should put that aside, forget that you're that. Totally forget that you are that because it, it, you have to do the opposite. It's not about you, it's about the user. That's the main thing. It's so, mm. so different. And that's, uh, and it's much more about marketing that, I mean, obviously the film posters are about marketing, but there's, it's it's very different. So the, the the fact that I changed so deeply as a designer when I started working on the web led me to get to this talk because I needed to understand what UX is and what and how UI what the part that your UI plays and how they need to play together and so on. And that's how I got into into Gestalt for exactly the reason that I said because I wanted because I know exactly why you know a lot of these principles we already apply intuitively. But I would, you know, my response would be, yeah, because I'm a designer and I know that this is against this principle of design, but it doesn't yes. help on the web. Yes. It doesn't help on the web. You know, Gestalt helps so much more on the web because you can really say, because I, but if I change, if I think if I took away the UI thing, you know, and the sort of web design angle, this is a talk that anyone can understand. It's not necessarily about web design. I've applied it to web design, but it's not. So... 
basically to go to without further ado mm. the <laughs> the principles on the on the uh, that I examined in, in the talk that's what you're asking me to that's talk right about. yeah I think the first okay. one uh, was emergence I think was the first one I could be wrong emergence yeah emergence so it's and the the image that's one of the most famous ones that you see is this uh, dog sniffing the ground but but in fact all you see as you first see the uh, image is a is a sort of it's lots of black blobs you know on the on mm -hmm. the uh, against the white background and then you go oh yeah and i can definitely see what that is that is a dalmatian sniffing mm. the ground and basically this is the first time that we see how you the, the the our eyes and brain perceive the scene as a whole and we don't need to identify the details that make the scene we can then we go in, into it and we see why that is a dog but we see it without even knowing that we see it mm. So, so this is how you, the the main premise of Gestalt is also that we see the whole before the details. It's a fascinating so, picture because really, when you actually look at it, there is no dog. No. And but there is a dog, and then yeah. there isn't a dog, and then there is a dog. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So the details are noticed only after the outline is is identified with, yeah. only if we want to it's not actually necessary yep. and that totally applies to web design because it's about not going getting too uh, creative or too detailed with your shapes because most people won't notice them so mm. don't go there it's about you know really it's about giving your user the best experience possible mm. be being ornate is not going to reach that Okay. It's not so. That's the that's the first thing. So uh, and that's and we've seen how that image is much more complex than just a dog. So our eyes tend to reduce complex images to simpler shapes. Right. Okay. That's, yeah. Yeah. But also, the, and in general, we perceive the whole before the component parts, and that's where you go to the example of when we see a car, we see a car. We don't see the wheel, the the doors, the windows. You know, when you see a bicycle, you see a bicycle. You yes. don't see the spokes. The, so only if necessary do we go into the detail. But if not, we don't. We don't bother. There's no point. So, so this, this, this can be applied to the web because you can, you know, you're, you're thinking about the whole page, not all the little intricate little parts, because basically at the beginning they're not going to be noticed. Exactly. Nice. And it's very interesting in terms of layout. I've seen also, I mean, I think you could do, that could be another talk that just talks about layout and gestalt because you can analyze various layouts in a gestalt, with a gestalt approach and you, you'll see very different things. You know, what you think you see in your very cool layout is not what the human eye actually sees zoom, at, you know, the first three seconds that they land on the page because let's yeah. not forget that we have three seconds yep. when people land on the page yeah so so yes that's that's it's a really interesting way actually um and one i will explore further yeah it's really interesting soon. because as it, when when i'm building websites i do i sweat all these little details you know and and adjust this and move that and make that a little bit more round or what have you and the, the principle here is yeah people aren't going to take that in right away um so maybe yeah. it, maybe it's worth thinking about that rather than spending hours and hours and hours sweating all the tiny little details. Fascinating. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying be sloppy. No. Quite the opposite. No. <laughs> Quite no. the opposite. Design no. is about 
precision and, and consistency more, more, more than anything else. I mm. think it's more about consistency, actually. Mm. So um, we've already said based that, that um, some of if the designers who see this talk say, oh, yeah, these, you know, they recognize a lot of the principles because, like I said earlier, design, Western design theory, because let's not forget this is a very, very Western based kind of uh, con concepts, set mm -hmm. of concepts. It's based on art theory and it's based on uh, design is based on Gestalt. Maybe designers don't know that it's based on Gestalt, but it is. Because also it's where we're at the same time as the Bauhaus, more or less, you know, uh, you mm -hmm. know, yep. we're in Berlin. Yep. So that's kind of where all these things were, uh, all these principles were set really uh, around those those times. So what I looked at in the talk were the the most important uh, principles that I think we use more in web design. There are many, many more that I didn't analyze because also um, it gets you know it gets to the point where it's 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 a little bit too much. But anyway, yeah. then yeah. you you know couldn't fit it in in thirty minutes. No, as okay. well. And realistically, you you these are the ones that that are more important and that come up. Okay, so More what have we got yeah. next? Multi-stability. Multi-stability is the one that everyone loves. <laughs> yeah, Basically, multi-stability is when you have ambiguous images. The, the one that I showed was the duck stroke bunny. Yep. There's also the old lady stroke young lady profile. Yeah, there's, there's thousands uh, of these, there's isn't loads. there? There's yeah. loads. There are so many. And I mean, there are artists. That's all they do. Yeah. You know, that's all they do. So and this is when multistability occurs when our mind, when there's an object, something that can be, can be or an image that can be inter interpreted in two different ways. But our mind can only see one. Yeah. Uh, at the same time. Yeah. And even when you see the other one, you can only alternate between the two views. You can't see them. That's really fascinating time. because it's absolutely 100% true. You cannot see the rabbit and the duck at the same time, and then you can see the duck. Um, I, oddly, yeah. I have a, a set of tiles on my bathroom floor which, um, which have this exact feature. This, sometimes I see circles, other times I see the gaps between the circles, I which look it. like crosses. So I see circles, a whole floor of circles, and then, oh, they're crosses. And it, sometimes it I makes me it. feel dizzy. <laughs> I love it. No, that's great. But the thing is, what's really funny is that in uh, in in this case, what's really interesting more than funny is that there's no way to tell if you, Nathan, will see the duck or the bunny first. Yes. No way. Yes. It's completely out of our conscious control. It's mm. not predictable, which mm. is why avoid at all costs on the web and, uh, you know, absolutely avoid at all costs. And then I was showing an example of a very clever agency that does very creative work and that use this animation that is a just, just juxtaposition of two of different words um, that also <clears throat> with a kind of transparency effect yeah. as well incredibly clever it's jarring though terrible. isn't it it makes your yeah, brain it hurt is. it's basically you clever typography you've got one word superimposed over another word in different colors and the uh, the idea is that you're going to persevere and spend ages working out what both sets of words say all i see is the red i cannot see exactly. the, the blue at all so it's a complete waste of time writing the blue stuff for me Absolutely. But also if you go, if you're actually on the website, it's even worse because as you move the mouse and trying to make sense of it and trying to understand it, 
other things happen, other things move. So you kind of go, ah, it's actually a bit scary even a little bit. You're like, oh my God, it's going to happen to me. Very clever, but that's where I would say it ends. It's clever, but it it doesn't actually do what potentially what it's supposed to do. Unless, of course, the, 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 the purpose is to be clever. Um, mm. and to be noticed for doing something a bit unusual maybe that's what it is i don't know but okay fascinating yeah it's yeah not, but not anyway avoid on the web basically because yeah. you don't unless you it has a meaning yeah but we still don't know what the meaning is i mean it, it's their portfolio so they, they are trying to be clever but there's there's the they it does nothing for, for the user basically so mm. unless so the and the lesson here is before making things look cool or pretty or both please ask yourself, does it help the user? Because if it doesn't, then don't do it basically. Yeah. And yeah. because, so don't make them think again, avoid ambiguity yep. Yep. or information overload, basically always yep. avoid that. Yep. Okay. So the next one, I'd never heard of this word ever before. Uh, and I'm probably going to say it wrong. Reification. No, I think you said it right. Oh, I mean, English. I was paying attention. <laughs> Reification. It comes from Latin res which means thing or object Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's when it occurs when there's we see a complete representation of an object even with limited visual information Mm. and one of the examples that i was that i bring is this sphere that has spikes that come out of it uh, and the sphere is not is implied it's not represented yes you yes. can only you see it because you see the spikes coming out of it. Or and you can really see it. There is a sphere really without a shadow of a doubt, but it's not there. <laughs> no, it's not there. And the same with the triangle and it, uh, that has its, um, the, the what's it called? The little point. Pac-Mans in the corner. The little Pac-Mans in the corner, <laughs> which is a really interesting image because this image of the triangle and the th- three, you have to, to imagine three circles on the top of each point of the triangle uh, and the triangle is white and the circles are, are black so this is an example of reification because the triangle isn't drawn but still we see it as well as multi-stability because yes those of us those of us who are old enough see pac-man yes so there's both there so yeah. again it's really clear the triangle like it's it's basically drawn on the page as far as my brain is aware i can I can, yeah. It's almost like the the bits where I shouldn't see the edge. I can see the edge. Honestly, you'll have to look at these slides. The audience will have to look at the slides <laughs> at the same time as listening to and this. And they but can. Anyway, the, the point being that there are shapes yeah. there which are not there. They're just implied. And 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 you've given some a nice example of this with circles, haven't you? On the on the internet, widely being used. These sort of progress yes. circles. Yeah. Progress circles, but and the lesson is that your users' minds can fill in the gaps. Yep. So less is more. Use white space as a design tool. White space in the sense of the con- the concept, yep. not the color. So use space as a design tool. I get some space. sort of innate pleasure from seeing these objects. I really like it that I, yeah. I kind of recognize on some level that I'm being tricked, and I like it. I like the fact that it's made me think a little bit and I've, I've, pu- I've puzzled about it and I've paused for a, an extra half a second just to look at it. Like with the circles, the you yeah. can, you've seen these a thousand times, you know, where the circle is drawn, but then it only gets halfway round, but you still know that there's a full circle there, even though it's all just on a white background and it's a third of a circle or a semicircle. I'm, I'm into that. That's cool. I like that a lot. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's fascinating to actually realise that that's the way our brain mm. works, isn't yeah. it? it? It's yeah. And there's lots of opportunity a... to use that. You know, you can imply shapes and make the brain work out the the missing pieces. You could do that a lot on the web. I would have thought. Mm. You yeah, absolutely, you can. And there's another principle that we see further on, which is called closure, that comes from reification, and it works in the same way. And it's a fantastic way of explaining to your clients why you shouldn't crowd things too much mm. you know mm. you it's 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 again i'm looking at giving people i mean not ammunition because it sounds like it's a war with clients which it isn't but you know <laughs> no no um uh what's another not non-weaponry kind of example um uh, the tools you yeah, know there you go That'll do. yeah the tools to to explain why without having to say oh because i'm a designer and you're not you know <laughs> because i like it yeah yeah so yeah, that's that's why i like this whole subject because it actually gives me words to describe it i'm going to remember reification what's next in invariance yes and invariance and actually every you'll see especially with invariance i find that a lot of these principles actually work together, which is so helpful. Mm. So invariance is when the example that I give is Brad Pitt's face. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't like to look at oh, Brad I mean, who would, exactly. Don't <laughs> tell me you don't like looking at him. It's always a pleasure. So in all the, you know, countless variations of the various roles and the fact that, you know, he's aging now, not that it, you know, affects anything, but, um, you know, with facial hair, with, accessories with long hair short hair different hair color we still know it's him unless as you know i was sort of told off not told off she kindly told me that the the lady who gave the um the accessibility talk which i loved as well at uh, a, a WordCamp, said that she's got a facial recognition disability uh by means of, she she can't she doesn't recognize face faces and she proved that to me because it talked half an hour and then i saw her later and she didn't Oh, wow. Yeah, so it is. I I know it exists. I know it exists. Anyway, so Hmm. anyway, in general, we basically, the point is that we recognize humans have the ability to recognize shapes, objects, faces, regardless of natural and artificial variations, such as scale, elastic deformation, rotation, orientation, you know, things like that. So, and basically, in a way, if you think about it, this invariance also works in with any element of your user interface that is repeated. We mm-hmm. recognize it even if it changes mm-hmm. because of invariance. You give a lovely really. example of this typography where the, the words have been stretched and bent. And essentially, they know some of those letters no longer look like letters, but you can yeah. recognize them as letters. Um, and, and I can see what you mean, you know, the principle of stretching things a little bit and making things a little bit quirky, but they'll still be yeah. recognized as the object that they're supposed to be. Yeah, very cool. And again, Absolutely. makes it, it, that that little section there of all the stretched vocabulary, it just makes me stare at it. I just get some sort of yeah. innate pleasure from looking at it because I realize I'm being <laughs> I'm being fiddled with a bit. But, but without it, we'd have to constantly reassess the world around us yep. as it changes. Yep. So again... It helps us to not think, to think as little as possible. Mm. It's just we go back to that. Mm. Um, and it's interestingly in the web, uh, invariance is using capture because it's for now is the edge that we have over bots because 
bots can't recognize capture and we can yes yes and then, then we, we, yeah. sorry i was just going to say then we progress yeah. on to the slightly more sort of concrete terms now that we've got an idea of what gestalt is a little bit we go into the the more concrete ways that you could apply it so the, the first example this, this was brilliant to me i love this one i think was the one that i like most of all uh, the figure forward slash ground um idea Organizing. yeah it's Basically, it's when we isolate individual elements from a background, not because they're necessarily bigger, but because we realize our brain understands that it's the most important thing in the image. Yeah. And I, I use the image of a lion, which is really tiny, but we see it because immediately it's, it's obviously it's a threat. And it, it, it was very useful for our ancestors when they had to detect a predator in the field. Yeah. Super interesting aside is that as I was researching this, I came across something that I haven't, I made a note of it and I can't find the note typically. <laughs> Basically, our brain has evolved. So our answer, this is a relatively recent evolution of the brain. Apparently our cortex, well, this happens in the cortex and previously we weren't able to do this and now we are. I need to find that ah, again. that's cool. So, I mean, I guess in yeah, this case, really you... Cool. Um, despite the fact that there's a whole vista of uh, mountain and grass and trees and bushes, you just find this tiny little lion. Um, yeah. Your brain just zooms in on it. I wonder if it wasn't in the middle of the image, if you'd find it so quickly. But then you sort of you go on to make it a bit more concrete and you show a picture which is straight from the web where there are elements that just jump out. They're saying, look at me, look at me, because, yeah. because they just stand out in high contrast relief to all the other stuff and your brain goes that's important and that's important and and yeah brilliant love it thank you (laughs) well basically it's um it's essential in the user journey isn't it you need to do it you need if if that's what you want your user to do make it stand out and make it stand out properly in a visible way you know because in this case, you didn't need to blur the background, but sometimes you might need to do that or use an overlay, yeah. you know, things like that. The funny thing about the lion one is that the lion and the grass that the lion is in are basically the same colour-ish. Same colour. But, yeah. but the, the image below, you have like really high contrast colour. The, the button is orange and, and there's a green background. So the button sort of stands out for that reason. And obviously, that's a, we, we probably use that all the time subconsciously. Um, you yeah. know, a fairly bland background. The button is in high high contrast and so you notice it but but again just absolutely fabulous and then similarity yeah similarity is uh, these are the grouping laws you know the the laws by means of which we put objects in the same lot so the human eye groups together elements that share similar features simple as that and we sort of attribute different meanings to them as well usually so the pink arrows clearly mean something different it's uh, the image that i use shows pink arrows pointing upwards and white arrows pointing downwards and clearly we think that they mean something different and yep. belong to different groups yep even though they're the exact same arrow they're just orientated differently but the color suggests something entirely different totally different purpose as well yeah yeah it's brilliant. exactly yep. exactly so um, again all things that seem obvious but then if you have a look around the web that you realize that you know that's when they're not used that's where things go wrong yes and a great, a great thing which you see all over the web is, uh, for example, 
you see um, icons of companies, and you've got uh, an image here of um, companies that this that this company has worked with, and they're all they're all made to be roughly the same size, and they're all made to be exactly the same color. So your brain isn't even thinking, oh, these these are together. It just knows it. These things are all yeah. supposed to be lumped. In fact, you might as well have drawn a great big rectangle around it and said these are all together. But you didn't have to. It was just implied and very cleverly done too. I, I, I think yeah. I've I've used that quite a lot. I am probably guilty of keeping the logo colours, which I think I'll stop doing from now on because I like this more. The colour is the group as well as you know, as well as the space that it's occupying. Exactly, and as as we all as all branding and logo designers know, your logo should work without colors anyway yep. so if it doesn't it's yep. their fault not yours yep. <laughs> proximity came comes next and this was another brilliant one because it lends itself so beautifully to things like navigation areas and things exactly so objects that are close to one another in space are perceived as belonging to the same group mm. simple as that mm. so either put them close if they belong together or put them far away yep. and this is something it's using white space as we saw earlier it's something that's so useful with clients when they say when they ask you to because clients have a tendency to want to have everything you know and but the kitchen sink on the page <laughs> and you yeah. you can tell them no i can't do that because if they're all close together then an, people won't know what goes with what yeah you know yeah I, I get it and and it works well with um the proximity one especially with navigation works really well with similarity doesn't it you know and absolutely and you, um and the example you've given is actually the wp elevation um, main menu <laughs> item and so you've got items that are close in space they're the same color and the same font and then you've just got this tiny little variation this one of the menu items is the same except it's a tiny different color so it it shouts out look at me look at me and that's obviously yeah. where they want you to go yeah exactly yeah, so yes. uh, so it's um yeah so you can use them both ways as well so use the laws of similarity by making one item that is the same but different yep. and that means clearly the the eye goes okay that's a different meaning there yep yep i can imagine well i mean i've used that a lot with top menu items for the contact button because that's what people actually want them to do they want them to pick up the phone and get the contact information so that's, yeah. that's often been the case okay and then exactly. we go on to common region again just so simple but so effective common region which is what you would have done with the logos yes by drawing yes <laughs> it's exactly yes. that is the uh, making object item share a same clearly delineated area when mm -hmm. they belong to the same group yeah. again so simple so simple but, but it, it works it works and if you don't apply it it's basically this i think is very closely related to using a grid as well but that that goes into different principles but basically you know if you think about a facebook post if you look at at it you know or a facebook ad for instance there are so many different areas of elements that perform a different task in it that if you didn't use the Laura Common region by delineating the, the areas, it would be an absolute mess. Yes. But because they do, then you uh, then you you understand which area does what. So like, yeah. common, and share yep. has a certain function. Above you see something else. You know, it's it's very clear. And I think that you know, so far there has been no artistry at play or creativity. No. Nothing no. at all. It's not what it's about. So. You know, you can, 
Facebook is boring. You know, it's not, you know, but it's really well designed in yes. that way because it yeah. gets you to do stuff. I yeah. mean, not always well designed. Anyway. I'm, I'm a user of um, Android and their, their Play Store, which is the equivalent of the iTunes or the, anyway, the Apple App Store or whatever, yeah. has these lovely little cards and, and everything's on sort of a grey background. But it looks on the, the dimensions are a bit like a playing card and they're white and everything fits inside the little white rectangle. And so they're all identical. So you just immediately know, oh, that, that's one app. That's another app. That's another app. But they're in this wider thing. Oh, they must be the same kind of app. And it doesn't yes. even say it. It just implies it. OK, they're probably all puzzles. Oh, right. OK, they're puzzles. And these are games for under 10s or whatever. Um, and you just know that they're all grouped together because they have this slight variation in background color it's really clever but I, I i can see the the principle of using this all the time it's brilliant yeah so if you start looking at a, at a web design considering this i think you'll feel much less lost yes than, than yeah, just that because because yeah. yeah. you know it's also about all those you know developers that i see in facebook groups that go oh my god I, you know i don't know how to design this i need inspiration i think no you don't need inspiration you need to know what to do and yes. how to look at things and yeah. these are the things that yeah that help. Okay, we're, we're getting close to the end. We've got a few more. So the next one is closure. Yes. So closure is build, builds up on reification. And it's used a lot. You know, the example that I bring is the um, World Wildlife Fund. Beautiful panda logo. Yep. So, which is just a, you, the, the shaves basically are not closed. You know, the, the, and our mind supplies the missing information for in, incomplete shapes so yep. we don't need all of the information it's a bit like reification yeah, it is, yeah. it's, it's a little bit more complex and it's used more often in logo design but it's very useful again in web design because for instance on a newspaper when you, uh, front home page if you didn't use closure you know if you had like complete lines to delineate areas if you, you your brain would go in complete information overload because you don't need that you only need yep. a little you know, you don't need a full, uh, the four uh, bits of key line to see that it's a rectangle and it separates, you know, and it means something else. You just need two. It's fine, you know, yep. and it's super important when you have a very, very, very busy layout to avoid visual overload, basically. It's a nice example that you've included, I think, is probably from The Guardian. It looks yeah, to it me is, like yeah. it's the same font, which is a, a UK-based newspaper. And it's got lots and lots of little component parts, many of which don't match the other ones. And there's a lot, there's a lot going on in there, isn't there? You know, there's um, all sorts. But there is, there is a definite area. This is the around the world bit, and it's enclosed. It's got closure. And you get, the, okay, where this bit starts and this bit ends um, is, is really cleverly implied. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the last one, sadly, the last one is continuation. And again, I love this. <laughs> it's, it's how are I um, wants. It's not just accustomed to marking our pathways and following them. It wants to do that. We want to be told where to go. We want arrows. We want like, so if you we see a line, even though it's made of dots, so in theory it's not continued, we still take it as a flow and we follow it. You know, our eye follows it. So bearing that in mind, you know, you can really lead your uh, your uh, users through the journey that you want them to go mm. into. You know, mm. we can be clever like that and can, we can really make them go somewhere. So uh, someone asked me actually after 
so after maybe it was the Madrid talk. Anyway, someone asked me whether it was all right to use an arrow for a button because, you know, I'd said, don't be too clever. You know, and I said, you narrow that takes you to the next actually takes you to the next page as if and I said yeah absolutely yeah the, the, people will go to the arrow yes totally do it so and then the example that I give here is a google map you know when you ask for work, walking direction it comes out as dots yes even though I mean it's the it so we we perceive it as a as a continuous uh line uh even if it's it's incomplete because it's made of dots. And then I have the rant usually here. <laughs> yeah, I remember this, yeah. It's terrible, but I was using it yesterday again. And I was like, seriously, the dots go over the street in a way that makes it impossible to read the name of it. And if I go to the written to the written instructions, then I don't understand them anymore because I'm visual. And But I can't check if I'm on the right street. I actually have to walk down it and then see where the dot that represents me, which is also blue. <laughs> so it goes, I mean, seriously, Google, not good. So I it's, don't a good know how... it, it's a good example of using continuation, but poorly implemented because it covers up the stuff that you actually want to see. <laughs> I find it extraordinary that they haven't, that it's never changed. Yeah. In the car, it's even terrible. I remember being lost. I was driving in, in Jordan by myself in the car and I was using the iPad as my navigation. And I couldn't see a thing. It was like blue. It's a continuous blue line with a blue dot on it. And you're like, I, I don't see the blue dot. <laughs> I don't know where I am. I am in Jordan and Google. You're making me lost. Anyway, apart from, well, I love a, a rant. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Well, sadly, the, the bits and pieces that you demonstrated to us um, are in the, the London WordCamp talk. They, we've come to the end of that slideshow. I will. Um, put that in the show notes. I'll make it very prominent so that you can all go and download it. And and if you are listening, there's to no opt-in by the way. It's no, just, it's no, a just straight just, download. Yeah, no opt-in. Thank you. Um, and and it might make more sense what you've just heard if you go and look at this after the event. But um, yeah, mm. like you say, there was an awful lot more that you could have said. I obviously don't know what those words are because I'm um, completely ignorant when it comes to Gestalt um, and web design. But yeah, maybe more to be maybe more to be said on another occasion on another talk. But Thanks for coming on. Do you want to have a couple of minutes to explain about what's going on in your life and where you can be found online and initiatives that you're taking part in? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Mm. So coming from all this, because it's something that I was brewing in my mind anyway, because I really saw the need for this, um, was that I, and actually as the, the, the incredible response that the London and Madrid talk had. Uh, so I've, set up a Facebook group, group since, which is called Design for Geeks, uh, Techies, Devs and Marketers. Mm -hmm. So basically designed for anyone who needs to build websites on a daily basis, but is not a designer and, you know, sometimes gets lost and, you know, maybe they go to, I read of people that go to Pinterest for inspiration, but mm -hmm. what they need really is is a bit of, Design knowledge, which yeah. is not artistic, because they think you need to be artistic. No, I think this has proved it. And um, so as part of that, I'm also, because everybody keeps asking for it, so there's going to be a an extended version of this talk as a webinar on Tuesday, May the 15th. And it will, but it will be in the group as well. Um, it will be posted in the group and it will be in the group for a while and then it will be moved to the new 
website designforgeeks.com. Oh, cool. Which, yes, which uh, there, there is a webinar series on Design for Geeks that's starting uh, very, very, very soon. The best thing is to, if you're interested, is to join the Facebook group because there will always be um, information in there or check the website designforgeeks.com. Okay. That will that will always have everything that you need to know. Well, what I'll do is I will put the um, the links as they become available. I'll put them in the show notes. So there's the Facebook group and there's the designforgeeks.com website where you can be found. Um, thank you so much. That was really interesting. Um, maybe it was maybe it was difficult to to understand because you can't see the slides. I would encourage you to go and get the slides and listen to it at the same time. Possibly should have said that at the beginning. I'll make sure to write it in the show notes. But um, yeah, an absolute pleasure. We, I would hope to have you on another another time when we've got um, some more interesting stuff for you to tell us. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much for having me. It's It was an honour Yeah, you're very welcome. Here. It was lovely. <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. And today's ending fact again comes from impactbnd.com. And we're looking at the list we've been looking at all the way through this. And we're on article number 14, video helps persuade 73% of people to buy a product or a service. And there's some great um, extra facts on top of this. Uh, there's a link actually that goes to it. And I just thought this was wonderful. I'm going to be talking too much, Nathan. You'll have to butt in. No, but that's fine. You go for it. Okay, social. It says social video generates twelve hundred percent more shares than text and image combined. That's amazing. Wow! 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 That's significant. Yeah. Well, we agree with it, don't we? Because we know that video affects us. We were just talking. Yeah, I'm. We... I'm a big sucker. So, for example, if I go to a site where, uh, let's say, for example, I go to AppSumo, which I do quite a lot. The, the text is of very little interest to me. Um, that comes after looking at the video because usually mm. when they promote a product, uh, there's a video with it um, and it's usually a marketing video. It's not made by AppSumo. It's made by the company themselves trying to promote it. Mm. But that's always what I click first. Watch the video. Then I click on their homepage, look at their homepage. But the video always comes first. And then finally, I'm, if I like what I see, I might actually read some of the text. Um, so yeah, I'm a sucker for it. But... Video works well in that case because it's a technical product. You know, I'm buying something with ins and outs and technical things that I want mm. to know about. I wonder how it would work for things like, I don't know, if you owned an e-commerce site selling trainers or, you know, um, yeah. food or something. That That's a difficult proposition to sell through video, I would have thought. I think it gives you more clues. And there's another statistic here that 62% of consumers are more likely to have a neg negative perception of a brand that publishes a poor quality video and that definitely comes into play i look at videos often and I, it's unconscious that i'm actually judging the quality of the company yep. that's selling me something and i pr probably can get away with skipping a video when it comes to products on a shop because i can see the product and that's probably all i need to know and yeah. the description but yeah. sometimes even just you know if you're buying a widget from amazon sometimes just seeing a video of it spinning round so that you can see what yeah. it looks like in all dimensions that kind of makes a difference I'm, I'm totally with you it's more like real the real world isn't it and presumably you know give it five years we'll be all about ai and sorry vr mm. 
So we yeah. want to be immersed in a video experience that actually puts us in the same room as that object before we buy it so we can really truly understand it. Um, yeah, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I'm a sucker for video every time. Yeah, me too. I think a great way, personal branding, I think, with videos are really helpful. Well, there's an awful lot of platforms with. coming out now, aren't there? Sort of SaaS products which enable you to create mm. these videos really trivially, trivially. You know, you drop in a few images, add some text, and it, it, it automatically produces a video for you with the, the text and the images and a bit of music all in the background. So obviously somebody's worked out there's, there's muck, where there's muck, there's brass. Mm. But actually, we're getting this is almost turning into discussion now. But uh, <laughs> but I wonder whether they work because you know people can easily put those kind of things together. They don't give you a real insight to the company. Mm. Yeah, good point. Good point. Mm. Well, anyway, sucker for videos, love them all the time. Yeah, I love the videos. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Right. Let's um, say goodbye to this episode. As always, thank you if you managed to get this far. Amazing stuff. Have a have a biscuit. Um, <laughs> we would like to say. Thanks and share it all over the place. iTunes reviews, wherever you go, just share it. Thanks. That'd be great. Um, And cheesy music will be coming in, but I'll say goodbye from me, Nathan Wrigley from pictureandword.co.uk. And it's bye-bye from me, David Wolfsey. Bye-bye. See you soon. Bye-bye.